0: Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Well, again, I want to welcome you to The Perfect Place for Imperfect People. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And because it is The Perfect Place for Imperfect People, I know some of you, you may be shocked about what I'm about to say. Some of you, you're excited for it. But this church is filled with people from all sorts of different backgrounds and religious upbringings and theological notions that they lean into. But I want to talk about vampires today. Can we talk about vampires in church? Sure, they're not in the Bible, but they are in real life. What do you mean? I'll get to that. See, I've been fascinated by the lore and the love that our culture has for vampires. It just, it blows my mind over the past maybe three or four decades, this idea of vampires has become something that's scary to now something that's like, ooh, it's so appealing, it's so attractive. I'm an elder millennial, okay? I was born in 1981, so... Maybe people like 37 and older. Maybe you remember a time when vampires were scary, ugly creatures. You remember that? Like Nosferatu's like, (laughs) ha ha! And like, and like, you're like, that's an ugly guy. That guy looks like a bat. Don't want to deal with him. He's pale. He's see-through. He looks like those ugly lizards where you can see what they've eaten. And it's like, you, you don't want to mess with those guys. They are toxic. They are dangerous. But ever since like uh, the Lost Boys, remember the Lost Boys in the 80s? a movie with those vampires and leather jackets and like high top sneakers. I get my fashion sense from that movie exclusively. And then we had interview with a vampire, with the vampire, with Tom Cruise playing this very attractive you know, bloodsucker, and all of a sudden, people's ideas of vampires begin to change. And don't even get me started on Twilight. It's like, oh no, man. Anyone here like Team Edward by show of hands? Yeah. Somebody like, what are you talking about? I don't want to talk about it, so I'm not going to talk about it. But vampires have now become these cultural phenomenons that we cheer on and we champion when they literally suck the life out of people. We're like, yay! Go ahead and turn that girl into a vampire. It's so romantic. No, it's not. It's toxic, codependent, parasitic behavior. So I'm not gonna ask if anyone here likes vampire movies because I've already proven where I stand on that. But, but here's the reality. These creatures that we now celebrate is actually something we see in our actual living today. Now again, I'm not talking about you know, eternal blood suckers. I'm talking about parasitic people who suck your life from you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anyone have some vampires in their life by show of hands? Like these people that are codependent that just suck the life out of you. Don't point to them, especially if you're married to them. But of course, all of us, we know someone like that. And so today, and for the next several weeks, I want to talk about these life-sucking vampires in our existence. But more importantly, over the next several weeks in our year release, I want to help us to learn how to let go of them, to let go of these parasitic people so that we can understand the freedom we can have when we let them go. And so that's what this whole series is about. It's about releasing these toxic people in our lives. And that's the reason we're calling it vampires. For all the religious folk here and like you're you're all tense right now. It's like, can we talk about vampires in church? We're calling this series vampires, not because we're leaning into theatrics and I'm not gonna come out in costumes and you know we're not gonna make the theme spooky and scary. We're calling it vampires because we all have a common understanding of what a vampire is, right? We all have this idea of this is what a vampire does. Now maybe, maybe for you, they are attractive, good-looking creatures. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? They they can also be ugly or they can be good-looking. I'm talking about these characteristics, these parasitic characteristics that all of us understand. And I want us to get this image in our head so that we can not take this toxicity lightly. We have to understand what these people do so that we can learn how to release them and receive the life that God has for us. So, I want to talk about vampires and how we release them over the next several weeks. But I want to start with this because I think this is very clear. Uh, This is very important for us to understand. I'm not saying these vampires are evil. When we talk about these people who suck the life out of us, I'm not saying that they are evil. Like think about your children for a moment. I mean parasitic, probably. They latch onto you. They never leave you alone. Mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, daddy. They make messes and they expect you to clean them up. Feed me, I'm just gonna lay here. Just give me everything that I need. I don't know a single parent that thinks her children are wicked and evil. Immature, probably. Unhealthy, maybe. But that's exactly what vampires are and what they do. They act like children, even though they have grown past that age. So we have to understand and identify who these vampires are around us. Otherwise, will get caught in their fangs and get sucked into their destructive patterns of behavior, or even worse, they'll suck the life out of us and we become a shell of who we used to be, right? This isn't home for some people. You know some vampires. You know what they do. You know how they affect your life. So what I wanna do today is I wanna set the groundwork for what we're gonna talk about over the next four weeks by giving some descriptors, Of who the vampires are and what they do. And then I want to talk about how that relates to us. So first thing I want you to write down is this. Vampires are people who don't grow up. Part of the lore of these vampires is that when they turn, they never mature past that point. They stay stuck from the moment that they turn into parasites. If you know somebody who has not changed over the past several years and still stuck in their sinful ways, they are a vampire. They never mature past their codependency. They stay the same. They remain the same. There's not spiritual maturity or spiritual growth in their life. And again, they're not intrinsically evil, but it's this immaturity that causes them to operate in such a way where, where they don't realize what they're doing is either right or wrong. Therefore, they see people only as, as potential sources of what they need and not People with feelings and lives of their own. And part of the reason they never grow up, they never mature past when they were infected, is because they find themselves as victims of fate. That's the second thing I want to write down. Vampires are people who believe they're always a victim. We know people like this, they believe that what happened to them was not their fault. Listen, it just happened. I didn't want this for my life. I didn't, I didn't expect this to happen, but it has, and now this is who I am, and I can't change it. They don't take any responsibility. In fact, oftentimes, what do they do? They pass the blame away, right? We know people like that. We try to get them to understand, to identify maybe some issues in their life, and what they do instead is they pass the blame, and they start gaslighting, saying, no, 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 no. I, I can't believe you would think that about me. I can't believe that you, you, you would think that I would ever do something so toxic like that. I would never do that. And then they start gaslighting. And, and now all of a sudden we start asking questions. Is it something else? Is it someone else's fault? Is it my fault? And when they open up their mouth, we get caught in their teeth. They suck the life out of us. That's the third thing I want us to know about vampires. Vampires are people who suck the life out of us. Emotionally, intellectually, relationally, spiritually, they suck the life out of us. They drain us. They're constantly in our minds by the games that they play with us or how they interject all of their drama into our lives. And now we can't think of anything else. And we're constantly fixated on what they did and what they said. And can you believe it? And it sucks the life out of us. Now again, next week we're going to talk about this in greater detail. Well, actually in two weeks from now. Next week my pastor Dan Sutherland's coming. He's going to be talking about the pains in our neck that our people but I want, you to, I, I, I want this to be clear, okay? The people aren't intrinsically evil. The real enemy is the spirit behind the person named Satan. And so listen, help happens here. That's one of our values. The way that I serve God is by serving other people. Familia happens here. It's another one of our values. Genuine community and connectedness is what God has created me for. But there's a difference between loving and speaking to and listening and serving someone and them not reciprocating. And that's not called a relationship. That is... Consumership, that is sometimes a dictatorship where one person is constantly talking and taking and talking and taking until there's nothing left to give up or to receive, they suck the life out of us. And possibly the most difficult thing about these vampires is this final thing. I want you to write this down. Vampires are people who can't see themselves in a mirror, they can't see themselves in a mirror. I mean, you've heard that about the Lord. They look in a mirror, they don't see themselves. And that's what makes it so difficult to help these toxic, vampiric type of people. Because they don't, they can't see who they really are. They don't see their reflection. And we can tell them, and we can explain it a thousand times and give them very specific descriptors of what they are doing, but they will think you're talking about someone else. They don't see themselves in the mirror. And so that's why today I want to make this very clear for every single one of us. Today as we begin to talk about understanding and learning to release these blood life suckers, I want you to understand this. I'm not talking about them today. I'm talking about you. We'll get to them next week. But today, we need to understand how we have these tendencies, how we tend to suck the life out of the people that we love or the people that are around us. Today, I want to talk about ourselves, and then I want to give us hope for a better tomorrow. Sounds good? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. I want to tell a story of someone who's very similar to us in the Bible. His name is Peter. He loves God, but he makes a whole lot of mistakes. Does that sound like anybody here? I love God. I want to serve him. But man, I keep messing up. I'm the only one. Okay, nine, nine o'clock was filled with imperfect people. This one, this is the religious service. Okay, right? Love Jesus. But man, I got some work to do in my life. And up until this point in Peter's life and his relationship with Jesus, he has seen Jesus do the impossible. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, multiply food. He saw Jesus walk on water. But today, what we're reading is a profoundly dark moment in his relationship with Jesus. And it starts in Luke 22, 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm even willing to die for you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now, who are we talking about? Who are we relating to today in Scripture? Who? Peter. But Jesus starts off by calling him Simon. Why is he calling him Simon? Because that was his government name, right? That was on his birth certificate. But Jesus changed his name. Because when someone moves from spiritual death to spiritual life, the change is so dramatic and, and, and supernatural and significant that, that we've become a new creation, that we have a new identity, we have a new heart, we have a new future, we have a new family, that sometimes God would change the name of a person to show the transformation that's happened in their life. And this is why so Paul was known as Paul later on. And this is why Abram was known as Abraham. And this is why Simon is named Peter by Jesus. But Jesus calls him by his old name when he named him the new name. Why did he do that? It's kind of confusing, not just for us, but also for Peter. What he said to Peter is is what he's trying to get us to understand today, that we are imperfect people. And he knows that. And sometimes we will go back to being the old us. He's saying, Peter, you are going to walk down some patterns of thinking that you had before you knew me. You're going to go back and you're going to go to your old ways. And you're going to deny that I've come into your life. That I'm your friend and your savior. And that I've transformed your living. He knows we're imperfect. But what does Peter do? Peter responds differently. He knows that that we'll let him down. He knows that sometimes we'll deny him. I can't tell you how many times I've done that in my life. Jesus' perfect love transforms me, but so often I find myself going back to the old vampiric blood-sucking ways of old Eric. The old revengeful, lazy, cussing, angry Eric that I used to be. And listen, I've talked about this before, but obviously I'm not through it yet. And so I want to keep myself accountable. And You know what takes me back to the old me often? Customer service lines. <laughs> I wish it was something else, but it's not. It's people that I can't see on the phone. Like, when I have a problem, when I have an issue, and I give them a call, they're following their script. They're being very kind. Customer service has significantly improved, but you know what hasn't? My attitude towards those people, especially where they don't give me or tell me what I need or what I want. And I'll be cool. I'll be calm. I'll be very charismatic. Hey, how are you doing today, Sally? That's awesome. Here's my problem. Can you fix it? I'm sorry, Mr. Gamera. We can't help you any further. It's just our policy. And then all of a sudden, I go from this cool guy to to now I'm a bloodstream. Sucker. And maybe it's because they don't see my face and, and I think they can't really Google and find out I'm a pastor, that I, that I act so parasitic sometimes, but, but I snap so quickly. I say, listen, I understand it's your policy, but your policy is stupid. And, and so are you, okay? And I realize you're reading a script, but your script doesn't help me and you're not really kind. You're the devil, okay? And so can I please talk to your supervisor, Sally? Thank you, please. Now, if you work in customer service, I apologize. (laughs) I'm not proud of my behavior, I'm just aware that it's there. I can't always see the vampire in me when I look in the mirror, but I have to be aware that he's hidden somewhere in there. So I want you to turn to the person next to you, look in the eyes, and say, You look good today, but I know there's a vampire inside. We have to be aware. Jesus says, you're imperfect. Because you're imperfect on this side of eternity, you're, you're going to falter. You're going to fail sometimes. You're going to go back. I understand that. But how does Peter respond? Peter says, never. Never. No, no, no. I will never, ever deny you. I'll go to jail for you, Jesus. I'll die for you. You can depend on me. Verse 54. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. Verse 59. And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Jesus, who is one of Peter's friends, he had just been arrested and detained. And being a disciple of Jesus, he does not respond in kind, he acts like a vampire instead. He's gotten everything that he's wanted from Jesus, but is not willing to help provide what is needed in this desperate situation. I'm just going to get, I'm going to take, I'm going to take, but now when you're in a situation, I'm going to deny. I mean, just a few moments ago, He says, I would never deny you. You can count on me. You can trust me. And now Jesus has been arrested. He's saying, I don't even know him. I don't know what you're talking about. You have to understand, it's not just the denying that's the problem. It's the cowardice. He got everything he he ever desired in Jesus. And now he's not willing to support the one who has done everything to show him care. Verse 60. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, it says. Verse 61 is key. Listen to this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. See, he wasn't just denying him in a dark corner saying, I don't know this guy. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. In his presence, Jesus is right there. Jesus can hear. He can see Jesus. Jesus can see him. And he goes back to this old way and denies that he was a follower. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Again, many of us were like Peter. We love God. We want to serve him. We've received the free gift of salvation through Jesus. But we have a tendency to go back to the old ways. We have a tendency to deny him at times. We have a tendency to to go back to living like the vampire that we thought that we killed. And Jesus knows this. I want you to be aware of that. He knows that we are imperfect, that on this side of eternity, we will never reach perfection. Our sanctification will never be complete until the day we're face to face before him in his kingdom, where there'll be no more sin, no more shame, no more sickness. There'll be peace in the relationship with God forever. But on this side of eternity, Jesus understands we are but dust. Remember that? We're just flesh and blood and fragile and imperfect. And so he lovingly speaks a truthful word to help us to see who we are, to look in a mirror and make adjustments to what we are doing so that we can grow from that. Because that's what a life-giving friend does. A life-giving friend doesn't just tell you what you want to hear. A vampire does that. They'll just make you feel happy so they, get, they can go and suck the life out of you. Whatever we can do to keep them excited so I can pull from them, so I can be part of what they get to experience, so I get to receive their resources. A life-giving friend doesn't tell you something to make you feel better about yourself. They want to actually help make you better. So they speak a word of truth. So they lovingly warn you about sin. I see what you're capable of. I see the pattern that you're walking on. And I'm telling you, don't go to that place. You shouldn't respond to that email. You shouldn't be around those people because they are sucking your life away and it's now affecting your family. They warn you of sin, but, but how many times have we denied the truth that we don't want to hear? And because we deny the truth that we don't want to hear, now all of a sudden we start sucking the life from ourselves, and it spills on to other people. Because we deny the truth that would set us free, that a loving friend has communicated to us. When we mess up now, we close up. We hide our sin. We go into the dark. I messed up again. I've sinned again. And I can't tell anyone about it because they told me not to do it. They told me it would end up this way. And I don't want to give them the credit. And I don't want to feel like a parasite. Always going the opposite direction of what they said. So now you keep it to yourself and you close up. And now it's sucking the life out of you. And some of us, we've been doing that for so long. We're still a vampire. We still allow him to come out or her to come out and cause damage around us. I've titled today's teaching, I Can't See the Vampire in Me. Because we need to learn to identify, to be able to look in the mirror and squint as hard as we can and stop seeing the reflection of everything around us. It's not their fault. It's not my home. It's not what's behind me. It's me in the mirror. The Bible says that, that this is like a mirror. And when we look into it, we can see uh, the future, but, but strangely dimmed, but, but barely there. But, but we can see it. And it helps us to identify who we are in light of who God is. We need to look in the mirror and realize that we are not a failure. You messed up. You will mess up. But you're not a failure. Jesus has already won the fight for your soul. He has set you free from the power of sin and death. So when you look in the mirror, don't see yourself as a failure, although you will fail. You will mess up. You will deny. You will continue to falter in this life. But you need to understand that it doesn't define who you are. That failure is not fatal. It's not final. It does not define you. This is who I am. I'm imperfect. And God knows that. So what do I do with this? Another thing about vampires is that vampires... Their heart is cold, right? It's known that they have blood in their veins. They, they don't feel. And this is the hope for some of us who feel bad for what we've done. We feel remorse for the sin and the denying the life that we've lived that doesn't reflect our heavenly father. If you feel remorse, you're, you're headed in the right direction. Say right direction because you feel for your mishaps, because you have a feeling of remorse of what you've done. You're headed in the right direction. But listen to this. You still have to make the right decision of what you're feeling. Let me explain that. During this time, there was another person who denied Jesus, who betrayed Jesus, who failed Jesus. Do you remember him? Do you remember his name? Judas. Judas He sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He told the religious leaders where to find him, to arrest him, to torture him, to kill him. Both Peter and Judas denied and betrayed Jesus. Both Peter and Judas felt remorse for what they've done. But Peter decided to do something, to go in the right direction and make the right decision with what he felt. He felt remorse, but remorse is not enough. Remorse is all that Judas felt. It is not enough to feel bad about what you've done. I've done a lot of things that I feel bad for, but it doesn't make me any better. It doesn't change me. It doesn't transform me. The things that I've done that I feel bad for, if I just stay there, I continue to feel bad for them. And now all of a sudden, I feel like more of a failure. I've screwed up again. I've let him down again. And I'm sucking the life out of my own life that he's poured into me. Feeling bad is not enough. Real change, I want you to hear this. Real change happens with repentance, not remorse. Real change happens when we run to Jesus. I want you to understand this. It's important for so many of us today. Write this down. We will all fall short sometimes. Turn to someone and say, you will fall short. You will mess up. You will let Jesus down. All of us will sometimes, but when we do, repentance. Say repentance. Yes. Repentance returns us to Jesus. See, so many of us, we continue to act like vampires when we see the cross. Like, oh no, ah! stay away, run away. We see the cross and we run away because when we see the cross, all we feel is remorse. My sin put him up there. My sin is what caused him to be tortured. My sin is what caused him to bleed for me. And now I feel all this guilt and I feel this remorse and I hide it in the dark instead of running to the light. I run away from the cross and I hide everything in the dark and it sucks the life out of me instead of going into the light and releasing it. We run away from the cross of Jesus. We feel all this guilt instead of giving it to him. And because now we've hidden it. Now we're carrying a heavy burden that Jesus already paid for. I need you to hear this today. I need you to understand this. Church family here and at home in Everglades Correctional. Stop killing yourself for what Jesus already died for. Stop it. Stop carrying a heavy burden that Jesus already paid to lift off your shoulders. Stop beating yourself up and killing yourself over something that Jesus died for already. He paid the price. We gotta release that. We gotta let go of that. We gotta get, let go of, of that, that burden, that shame and that guilt. And so here's how we do that. Here's how we can learn to release all the the, the, the life sucking inside of us because of our sin. Acts chapter three, verse 19. First word, read out loud together with me in three, two, one. Repent. Say it again like one of those guys on the corner of the street, but not like one of those guys on the corner of the street. Ready? <laughs> Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Verse 20, listen to this. That times of refreshing. Man, I need some refreshment. Refreshment. I need a cold Sprite for those of you who thought I was gonna say something. I I need some refreshment. That refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. See, what repentance means, it means a change in our thinking that leads to a change in our direction. Some of us, we need to repent today. We have to start changing the way that we think about sin. That's not something to celebrate, nor is it something to keep hidden. We need to change our thinking about who Jesus is, that he's not some, some God who's out to get us, but he's a loving son of the heavenly father who created us and knows us. And he's done everything to bring us back to his presence, to be in relationship with him forever. We need to change our thinking about our sin and about Jesus and what that means for us in our lives. And instead of running away from the cross, instead of letting all the guilt and the shame of the fail and and the the mistakes that we've made in the past eat us up, that we hide it, we can learn to fail forward. When we mess up, instead of running away because we failed, we can actually learn to fail forward and, and run to him. Because if we understand who he is, And his love for you, not them. We'll talk about them next week, but for you. When we understand his love for us, how there's nothing on heaven or on earth or anywhere that could ever separate us from this love. There's no sin that we could commit that he would not forgive because he's already washed us all of anything we'd ever do. That he loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. We know that we can come to him. We don't have to run away. We can come to him. And when we come to him, refreshment comes. Restoration, renewal in our life, the way that we used to think. He began to transform that. And now we are refreshed. And now this burden and all this guilt is now released from our lives. Why? Because we've run into his presence, not away from it. In his presence, we find refreshments. Some of us today, today's our day of release. We've been carrying something for so long, it's weighed us down, but today, we can learn to release that. We can learn to release all the life-sucking tendencies that we've placed on ourselves that we're doing to other people, and we can experience refreshment today. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to transform you. Church familialism, he wants to use you. He doesn't just want to rescue you, now he wants to use you, despite all the mistakes that you've made. So we go back to Luke twenty-two, thirty-one. 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, not them, for you. This is about God and you, that your faith should not fail. So when you have, what, repented, you change your thinking and move to a change of direction, Because you have repented and turned to me again. What does he say? What does he say? Thank you, Eric. What does he say? Strengthen. Strengthen your brothers. He says, you will deny me. You will fail me. But there's good news. You will feel remorse. And you will repent of it. And I will forgive you. And I will refresh you. And I will use you and transform your life. And when that happens, when you've repented and turned back to me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go strengthen your brothers. I need you to return back to me. Zechariah 1.3 says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Do you have this picture in your mind? We're going to talk about it in a few weeks. But the Father, when he lets go of people, some people are so toxic, some people are so life-sucking that we have to release them. We have to let go, but, but we're going to talk about that we do that with the same mind of the Father. We don't say, get out of my life and go. He says, hey, when you return to me, when you turn the other way, we have a picture of the Father and the prodigal son here in Zechariah that he's not waiting with arms closed and says, I want you to come and I want you to bow. Come all the way over here. No, he sees us turn and he runs after us. He says, if you return to me, I will return to you. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from un- all unrighteousness. Peter failed. But what does Jesus do? Jesus dies on the cross. He sets him free. Jesus washes us. Invites us to be part of his own. He resurrected. And now the word is getting back to disciples. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He, he, he's no longer in the tomb. What he said he would do, he actually accomplished. I can't believe we didn't believe him. I can't believe that we thought he would stay dead. But the Bible tells us that one of the first guys to run to the cross, to run to that empty tomb, is who? It's Peter. He says, I got to see him. I failed him, but I've taken a look in the mirror now. I've had time to process it. And who I see right now is an imperfect person. I understand that, that I'm not perfect, that I'm going to fail, but he's going to love me. I'm still beloved by God. And so he got out of the dark and he ran into the glorious light. And he was the first one. He said, I'm going to run after Jesus. I have to get there. And he was transformed. God wants to set us free. He wants us to let go and to release all of these life-sucking tendencies, not just to make us better, but to transform us so that he can use us. Again, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to see each of you like we, but I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail, so that when you have repented and turned to me again, he says, strengthen your brothers. When you've turned around, I want you to tell this story of how you messed up because it will strengthen your brothers. I stand before you today, an imperfect person who has failed my friend and savior Jesus countless times, but I have not stayed there. I have gotten out of the dark. I've repented and I've returned back to him. Over the past several months, I've tried to be as transparent to you as possible with the things that I struggle with, with the sins that that I falter and fall back into. And over the past several weeks, specifically, we've heard report after report and and story after story, people saying, man, it it feels so good to know that I am not alone. It feels so good to know that there's a pastor who struggles with the same things that I do. But I I got one report from somebody, and they said, aren't you a little bit concerned of you talking about the therapy that you go through and the things that you felt that people will see you differently? No, not at all. I hope they see me as imperfect. And I stand here today having not stayed in that darkness, having come out of it and running to the cross. And I know what God teaches here and what God does through the lives of the leadership here, it's strengthening the brothers and sisters here in this church. This is the perfect place for imperfect people. We all have our insecurities and our selfishness and our vampiric ways. But when we release them and we return back, we are refreshed and we can strengthen other people. And let me tell you, today is your day. Today is your day. God wants to use your life. God wants to use your story. He wants you to let go, to release everything that that has caused you to stay stagnant in your relationship with him, that has caused you to suck the life from people that you love. He wants you to give that to him. And when you repent and you return back to him, there will be refreshing. There will be hope. There will be joy. There will be peace. And now God can use you to strengthen other people. So the world around you can know, man... I may not have it all together, but I know that I'm received and loved by the God of my friend, by the God there at the local church, by Jesus who they live for and do not deny. Today is a day of release. Whether you're here today and you surrendered your life to Jesus, but the old you seems to be coming out of the crypt far more often than you'd like to, today's a day to to put a stake in that heart one more time, to draw a line in the sand and to release that behavior to God. You may not know how. You may not know how long it's gonna take for you to stop blowing up in anger or saying hurtful things to your children or being rude to customer service representatives. But if you feel remorse, you're heading the right direction. Now let's make the right decision and release that to Him. Thank you for listening to The Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.